So we've been going through a series over the last four weeks on, uh, on friendship, friendology. And as we come to this final session this morning, we're going to be picking up in a bit more detail something that I, I kind of alluded to last week, something that I just kind of mentioned but then moved forward with. But as we uh, begin to look at that, I just want to uh, remind us of the, the verse that's given us the framework for what we've been looking at. It's the words of Solomon in Proverbs 13, verse 20. And it says this, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you will get into trouble or you will become to harm. And it actually creates a bit of a, a tension for us. Not whether we should be wise or foolish, but more about how we manage and how we deal with this, uh, the, the, the biblical constraints for us to be, uh, be mindful of who we are with, but at the same time to walk into the world as light, to be uh, those who make disciples of all nations. To this tension that we can't really ignore, because in one sense, it could, from these, this verse, it could be very black and white. Walk with the wise, become wise. Walk with the foolish, and harm will come to you. It's, it's clear advice that we should all be able to follow. But there are then those things that actually almost contradict that as we understand how God tells us to live in this world. We know that the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. So we need to stay away from tempting people. And yet Jesus, our saviour, who is also our example, he was a friend of sinners. So how do we stay away, or do we stay away, or do we engage with people? The Bible also says, don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. Don't be joined together with non-believers. Again, it's fairly black and white there. And yet, then we're also told that we should be the light of the world and we should let our light shine into the darkness. Another verse, do not associate with people who are easily angered. You will become like them and endanger your soul. Stay away from people who are easily angered. And yet we are told to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So we have this tension. Should we avoid those people that are going to tempt us to run away from God? Or should we be the light that reaches out to those people? And I'm sure we've all faced it in reality. People that we, are, we have a real desire to reach out to. People that we know that we'd love to see them become part of God's family. But then they're also doing things and encouraging us to do things. And we kind of think, I need to draw a line here. I can't get involved in that. And we have to manage this tension. This is a tension that's never going to go away for us while we're here living our lives here on earth. But as we talk about friendship, I think there's, there's one underlying principle about how we manage our friendships that I think is really important for us as Jesus followers. As we've been talking about friendships, as we've been talking about uh, being in fellowship with other people and with, uh, particularly within church, the idea of kind of mutual benefits together, 
I think there's an underlying principle that if we are a committed follower of Christ, that those people who are in your inner circle of friends, those who are your core, say your perhaps your 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 core three, four, five, six, however many they are, however many you you feel it makes up that core part of your your friendship that those people at the core of your friendship, they should be also followers of Jesus Christ. That those who influence you most and those that you have most influence over should also be followers of Christ Jesus. Because it's in those friendships that you're going to get your strength. It's in those friendships that you are going to find the strength to, to grow deeper in God, your strength to, to continue in the faith, the strength to, uh, when you find yourself in difficult, attempting, stressful circumstances, it is those people that are going to help you to carry on following with God and for you not only to run the race well, but to finish the race well. See, when we're surrounded by the right people, our spiritual roots grow deeper. You're more solid. <clears throat> I like this idea, this, the, the verse in Colossians 2 verse 7, which talks about the fact our roots grow down deep in him and our faith strengthens us. And I had a little picture and I wasn't going to share it, but I am going to share it. Just because I think we need a bit of humor. But it's that kind of thing that, you know, when you have your friendships, that core group of friendships, they are the manure of your life. You need them around you in order for, you to, for your roots to grow down deep. You are, the man, you are somebody else's manure and your friends are your manure. You need people in your lives who are going to bring the right nourishment, the right feeding for you to grow down deep in him. Your core group of friends. I pray that they are believers. But again, maybe you need to go to somebody and say, thank you for being my manure. I'll leave you to work out how that conversation goes. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. You see, when we become weak, we, are, we become compromised and the enemy is more able to attack us. And we talked last week about how as church fellowship, as the, the friendships that we have in church should be set up so that we are praying for each other. Let your roots grow down deep into him. Jesus is the perfect example, as always, of what this might look like. How we have a core friendship, but also how we relate to people around us. Because if you look at Jesus, if you watch him through the Gospels, you see that he loves everyone equally, but he doesn't treat everyone equally. He loves everyone equally, but not everyone is on the same playing service when it comes to friendship with Jesus. What does that look like? <coughs> we see that he only recruited 12 disciples, not 15, not 25, not whoever wanted to turn up and say, can I be part of your gang, please, Jesus? He recruited 12 very specific men to be his disciples. Of those 12, 
he then spent more time with three, Peter, James, and John, than he did with the other nine. He loved them all equally, but he didn't treat them all equally in terms of the time he spent with them. There were circles of intimacy, circles of closeness. There were times when everybody wanted Jesus, his disciples, those who were sick, those who needed healing. And he'd also say, sowing, he'd draw a line in the sand and he'd take himself off, perhaps up to 40 days, to spend time with his father in order to put roots down deep into where he knew he was getting his nourishment from. He loved everyone equally. He even loved the Pharisees. He loved the Pharisees. He was God in the flesh. He loved the Pharisees. But because he also knew that, uh, that he couldn't trust the Pharisees, he treated them differently. His relationship then was different. They weren't his close friends. He loved them unconditionally. He loved them perfectly, but he dealt with them differently. So it's important for us to then to look at our friendship circles. Think about your friends. Think about those that perhaps you spent time with uh, this last month, those who you've kind of invested in, those who've invested in your lives. And it's, and it's right for us then to kind of periodically through our lives think, think about our friendship circles. Have I got people who are bringing the right things into my life? Are there friendships that are actually causing me difficulty because I feel that tension uh, more in that particular friendship than I do in other friendships? We talked last week about uh, Facebook. Uh, Facebook is, again, in many, in many aspects, it's a fantastic thing, but it can also give us a slightly delusional idea of what friendship is. I did end up having a look this week and like, how many friends have I actually got listed? 425. Most, the majority of those. Now, if you if you know me, I you know I'm not a big friends kind of person. You know, I've grown up in with uh, even in school, in college, university. I'll have one or two close friends. I'm not someone who has kind of big groups of friends. So on my list, those 425 people. Now, you know, some of those are family. That's fine. But there's still another 400 people there. And I don't have a close relationship with them. And Jesus would have had relationship with his disciples there, were his close friends. But then he'd have had a list, just like our face group circles, of people he knew. And his, and his interaction with them would have been very different. And, off, and as I said last week, there were times when he'd go through and, and I'll unfriend people. I look at my list and say, I've not spoken to you for six years. You were a work colleague for 10 years ago. We have nothing really in common. I don't need to, to follow you. Facebook's not showing me anything about your life anyway. Let me just kind of trim down and, and my, my friends list and I'll unfriend people. And I think it's really important for us to understand how trivial that makes friendship. And it's not really what friendship is about. And as we are reviewing our friendships today, as we're reviewing our friendships, I don't want us to be then thinking as we look at our list of people that we might see uh, and are part of our lives, I don't want us to see as this is something that I'm doing to unfriend somebody from my life and just kind of discard them. I think that belittles what a, friend would, uh, what a friendship is, and it belittles the person uh, who you would otherwise interact with. 
But I do think that we have to come to a point where we review our relationships. And there are times when we refine, redefine the relationship that we have. And we look at the relationship and say, this needs to be redefined because there's something about this which is unhealthy for me in my walk with God. So I want us to just to bring some things into that as we look at how we redefine those uh, relationships. And I want to give you two, uh, as we also think about this tension, two things that we will never let our friends do. And then one thing that I must always bring to all of my friendships. So two things that we must never let our friends do and one thing that we must always keep in all of our relationships. So the first thing is this. The first thing I will never let my friends do, I will never let my friends distract me from God's plan. I will never let my friends distract me from God's plan. We can see numerous examples of this in uh, in the Bible. This is what Jesus had. This is how Jesus had to deal with Peter, uh, who was again one of his inner circle. Whenever Peter, even when uh, with good intentions, whenever Jesus said to him, uh, "Oh, by, by the way, disciples, uh, this is uh, this is my way forward. I am going to be going. I'm going to be dying uh, and coming back to life after three days." And Peter could never really quite take hold of that. And Peter would say, no, 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 Jesus, that's not how it should be. You are our king. This is not the way it should be. We need you alive. And we get to that situation in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus draws a line in the sand and says, Peter, you are one of my close friends, but I'm not going to let you distract me from God's plan in my life now again it might be one thing turning to your friend and calling them manure if you also in the same conversation turn around and say get behind me satan you might find that you actually have to do some repair work on that friendship but there have to be points where we are very clear and direct even with our close friendships to say this is not what god is telling me to do it might be easier with some of our non-Christian friends. It might be easier where we come to a situation where, uh, and again, I, I, you know, Jesus was very specific with Satan. In, in, uh, no, he was specific with Satan. He was very specific with Peter about. Uh, and so, uh, you know, again, it's how we do that in the context of friendship. You know your friends. You know how you might need to, to deal with that. And we might have to pray about how we deal with those situations so we have the right words and wisdom to bring that about. But there'll be times as we look to redefine a friendship where we have to be absolutely clear that I may have been going along with something for now, but there is a line that needs to be drawn and I need to change the focus of this friendship. And it may even be that this close friend that you had has to... Um, has to kind of move into a different circle of, uh, of influence in our lives. I, I went to some, some teaching. I really can't, I wish I could remember what the teacher, where the teaching was. I know it was in Derby. It was an Elim thing that we were at. Uh, I really can't remember. But I remember the way they kind of pictured this. 
as a kind of a series of, con of concentric circles getting bigger and bigger. And obviously right at the beginning is you and those who you're most intimate with. If you're married, that will be your spouse. And then a slightly uh, circle out of that, then maybe your children, your parents, your wider family. Those who are uh, part of that intimate familial uh, um, relationships. And then you have another circle, which will be your close intimate friends. Those that you know you can share things with. Those who, you're up, uh, who are you're most honest with. Those who you share your vulnerabilities with. That's your group of friends. And then you'll have perhaps a wider group of friends. People that some, you're quite happy hanging around with uh, and you're seeing with. And then as it goes out, you maybe have then your acquaintances, your colleagues, and then people that you just know. And obviously, right outside of that, you've got people that um, you may have who you may know, you may have been in friendship with, but actually you need to keep them at a distance because of things that were toxic in that friendship. And at different times as we redefine friendships, we may need to move people from one of those circles to another. So there may be times as you are dealing with things and saying, this person is just bringing something that is ungodly into my life, that I need to move them from that close, intimate friendship Maybe out just one circle, maybe even two circles, just to redefine it and make sure it's healthy to my walk with God. Of course, there are other times when you get to know someone and you can bring them into a closer and intimate friendship that you have. But we need to take time to review and redefine at times the friendships that we have, the people that we allow to influence us. And as I say, it happens within church as well. It's not just things that go on outside. We look and see Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, these great New Testament apostles, missionaries that the Holy Spirit chose and the church of Antioch send them off. They go off together. They take John Mark, who is Barnabas's cousin. They long, go, take him along as a helper. They travel through uh, many Gentile areas and they plant churches. They were men who risked their lives for the name of Jesus. And then halfway through their journey, Mark leaves. And for Paul and Barnabas, it becomes a point of contention for them. And as they plan a second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas disagree on whether they should take Mark with them. Barnabas, who is the encourager, is, was unwilling to leave John Mark behind, but Paul was determined not to bring him because he had let them down previously. And we read of a sharp disagreement arising between them, and they parted ways. And Barnabas goes on, travels with John Mark, and Paul chooses Silas, and they go on uh, into ministry. And, uh, and, and there are indications later on that they heal the rift, that, that Paul says some good things about John Mark, and that uh, they send greetings to each other. So we see that the, the relationship was, wasn't permanently damaged. But what I want us to see here is that even in the context of church, where you have disagreements, we have to make sure that we guard ourselves about how we move forward with these. You see, for Paul and Barnabas, they disagreed and they parted ways. And this isn't so much about the disagreement. The Bible doesn't really make it clear whether one was right or one was wrong. They just say these were men who, as much as they had uh, a real desire to serve God, they had a disagreement with, about something. They're still fallible men. We, as part of this family of God, we might end up falling out with somebody over something. But it's not the disagreement. It's the character that we bring to the disagreement, which is important. 
You see, for Paul and Barnabas, they may have disagreed over this particular thing, but they didn't allow that to impact how they went on to serve God. They didn't allow the distraction of a disagreement to take away from the fact they needed to go on and serve God. And we need to make sure that even as we redefine friendships, even as we might have a disagreement with somebody, even within the family of God, that we don't allow our maybe our hurt, maybe our frustration to distract from God's plan in our lives. Paul and Barnabas were able to then go on and we had two missionary groups going around Europe to plant churches. What was a disagreement became a tool for God to increase his kingdom. Because you had people who were willing to not be distracted from God's plan in their lives. So wherever we are being pulled, whatever our friendships are, what our friends are doing, whether they're trying to pull us away from coming to church, from going to home groups, where they're distracting us in terms of the things they would like us to do, let us make sure we don't allow friends to distract us from God's plan. And then the second thing I just want to share with us this morning, I will not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. I will not allow my friends continually to tempt me to sin. I will love them, but I will not let them drag me down. We read of David in the Old Testament when he was on the run from King Saul. David with his band of merry men, David with his friends, his close friends around, they were hiding in the hills of Judea from King Saul and the the 3,000 men that were chasing after them. And they hide in a cave, a great cave to hide in. And then lo and behold, along came, comes Saul, who needs to answer an urgent call of nature. And of all the caves in all of Judea, at that particular moment, Saul walks in to the cave where David and his men are hiding in order to relieve himself. You've got to love God's plan sometimes. And into this situation, we see and we read this in 1 Samuel 24, David's men were so excited at the opportunity that they believed was a gift of God. They knew it was no coincidence that Saul had come into this cave at this particular moment. They encouraged David to take action. 1 Samuel 24 verse 4 says this, Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. So we can imagine David listening to the advice from his men. And perhaps his sword or his dagger creeping quickly towards Saul, covered by the darkness of the cave. Maybe the noise was, uh, was also covered by the fact there were 3,000 men kind of hanging around outside this cave waiting for Saul to finish. But he creeps forward and raises his hand and the obstacle to God's plan being fulfilled in his life is right there before him and he can cut it down. That's the advice of his friends. But instead, David cuts off a corner of the king's robe. 
in spite of all the advice or the encouragement from his friends, even perhaps friends who were otherwise wise and not foolish. In spite of all this, David decided to spare Saul because he knew that it would be disobedient to kill Saul, even though Saul was in the way of the fulfillment of God's promise to him. It was God's job to take care of Saul, not David's. David wanted the promise to be fulfilled, but he refused to try and fulfill God's promise in a way which was not part of God's plan. He refused to do it that came out of a, a heart of disobedience, a heart of vengeance, rather than a heart of, uh, that was submitted to God. Sometimes when we have a promise from God, there are those who think that we are justified to sin in order to pursue it. Maybe it comes down to just the timing. We are rushing to make something happen rather than waiting on God. And it's our greed or it's our pride or our impatience that are causing something to happen. And our friends are saying, just go for it. Just go and do that thing that you need to do. Look, it's right there in front of you. And, and, and our hearts should be, God, what is it that you are saying to me in spite of the, the advice that we sometimes get from our friends? We have to be so clear. I know it is that, that this is, again, one of those things, God, I really need to hear your voice. And we, we, we try and surround ourselves with the wise friends that bring a, the right advice to us. And we need to have discernment to make sure that we're hearing really what is God's plan and not what, not what is just man's plans. It's easy to perhaps also picture this in the way we live our lives amongst those who are not yet part of God's family. That we have those friendship groups and, uh, and whatever it might be, those things that might cause us to sin or lead us into sin. You know, maybe you get together with your friends. They're not Christians. Maybe there are uh, some who are Christians as well. But you get together with your friends and actually the theme of everything that's talked about is just gossip, gossip, gossip. And it's just telling stories about what this person has done and how that person is parenting. And did you see what was going on there? And actually, there's something about that which is drawing you away from God because that's not God's heart for your life. And it draws you into sin and wrong thinking about people. Maybe you gather with your friends, and particularly this might be for guys, but I don't think this is particularly just gender-specific, but it's the kind of thing that actually all of your conversation is related to the opposite sex, and, uh, and, it's, and it's conversation which is derogatory, which objectifies those people. And you know it's wrong, and you wish you could cut across it and just say, I'm not going to be part of this, because it's leading you into wrong thoughts. It's leading you into wrong attitudes. And we need to address it. And there are times we need to redefine friendships because the friendships around us are drawing us into sin. It may not be outward sin. It might just be things in our mind that we have to then work through. But our friendships are so important. And we need to ensure that we take this moment, maybe even today, to redefine the friendships that we have, to maybe move some people from out of that inner circle because actually they're causing us to sin too often. We need to ensure that we don't allow our friendships to draw us away from God's plan. We need to ensure that our friendships don't uh, cause us to uh, continually sin. But then there's one thing that I always, always, always need to have as part of all of my friendships. 
And this one thing is that I love unconditionally. I love unconditionally. Just as we spoke earlier about Jesus and how he was able to love unconditionally, he created the right kind of uh, of, of framework for his friendships, but in all things, he still loved unconditionally. And I must love my friends unconditionally. And even if I then have to redefine some of these friendships, I need to do it in a way which shows that I love them unconditionally. And sometimes, actually, by drawing a line, it might cause uh, a difficult conversation. It might cause hurt. It might cause a breakdown in, in, in some of that relationship that you have. But I believe that God honors uh, our, our relationships when we draw those lines. There are stories that you'll hear of, of um, uh, as I'm sure James said at the beginning, we kind of used, uh, we're using a, a framework from, uh, from Life Church just that's kind of given us a bit of a framework for this, for this series. And one of the stories that uh, Pastor Craig that tells, he talks about how he met, uh, how he met his wife. And uh, the, the, the story is that actually he, was going, he went on a date with somebody who wasn't a Christian. He'd kind of stayed, he'd become a Christian, he'd changed all his friendships, he'd stayed away from dating for a couple of years. And then he saw this girl in the library. It's always the library, isn't it, when you're a student? Seen a girl in the library and, uh, and uh, she was kind of flirting with him. They went out on a date. But halfway through the date, he had this realization that this isn't really what God wants me to do. And so he had to have that conversation in, in that day to say, look, this is not really what, uh, this is, th- we've got different expectations about where this is going to go. And he tried to share Jesus, but he, uh, I think she was uh, obviously um, upset. And then in, in, in university the next day that she kind of pointed at him and kind of laughed with her friends and kind of, uh, and, and just, you know, ridiculed his attitude. A couple of weeks later, he tells a story that says, actually, this girl came to him and said, I've met just the right kind of person who thinks exactly the same thing as you, who who is just like as weird as you are, who's going to has got completely the wrong attitudes about sex and relationships. You'll be perfect for each other. And she introduces this girl, Amy, to Craig. And in true Disney fashion, they lived happily ever after. And it was a match made by this person who, uh, who was kind of ridiculing Craig uh, and, uh, and, and kind of highlighting this as something that, this is ridiculous, this attitude you've got, it's so old-fashioned, it's just ridiculous. But it brings two people together. And then Craig carries on the story and say, actually, once he was a pastor of a church, a number of years later, this, this girl that he'd gone on the date with, who'd introduced him to his wife, Amy, came into church. Came into church and she shares the fact that actually the stand that he took at that point where he said, here's the line drawn, meant that when she came back into church, she knew that she could trust him and trust the message that he was sharing. You see, we might set a line in the sand that says this far and no further. And it might cause hurt in a relationship. It might cause breakdown in a relationship. 
But I believe God is able to bring restoration and wholeness and use our honesty, use our truth, use our witness to speak into people's lives. We may never see the outcome of that. We may never see that for, for Craig and for Amy and this other lady. Obviously, there's a fantastic story to be able to share and God gets the glory in that. We may never see that. But as we look to share our heart with people and say, look, I love Jesus more than I love the consequences of this world. I love Jesus more than, uh, and I treasure him so much that I want to do right by him. And I believe right by him will also be right by you. And this is what it needs to look like. I need to stop going out uh, and just, uh, you know, drinking with you. I'm not advocating necessarily too total for everybody it's uh, that's for you to work out how you stand on that but it might be about your attitude to drink and alcohol that needs to change and the attitude of your friends it might be the things that you choose to talk about needs to change it might be that actually uh, how you manage your business needs to change and your colleagues around you some of that needs to change there needs to be perhaps a more openness and honesty in the way you do things But we need to do it with unconditional love. We talked last week and shared this idea of the fact that, uh, that God sets us the standard. And so as we are within fellowship, we must accept each other. We, we shared that verse that talks about the fact that as, just as Jesus has accepted us, so we should accept each other. And there's another verse which just sets this idea out of just as Jesus has so we should too. And it's in the Gospel of John, John chapter 13, and verses 34 and 35. I give you a new command, to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is the framework for our love for each other. This is the framework for our love with our, in our friendships. Those people that we are perhaps uh, know that we need to re- redefine the friendship. We need to ask God to have the wisdom that, that as he plants things in us, there is an overflow of him within us that becomes the, the, the love of God overflowing so that we love them unconditionally. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then this tension that we walk in, this tension that we are to walk with the wise and grow wise. But be careful of the fool who would cause us to come to harm. We must be wise with our friendships. We cannot live the right life when we have the wrong friends. So just as we finish this morning, and just thank you for being part of this journey over these last few weeks. Let's just make sure that we surround ourselves with the right core friendships so that our roots grow down deeper into him. But also that my love, that my my reach that comes from everything that God's doing in me may grow wider and that my light will shine in this dark world. And that those who are observing would also know that we love Jesus because of how we love each other.
Let's just pray to finish. Just as I begin to pray, maybe you can just picture those people that you would consider to be your close friends this morning. And just ask the Holy Spirit just to shine a light on any areas that you know need to be addressed. It may be that actually as you have a conversation with a friend, it's exactly what they need to hear in order for them to just set their feet right as they follow God. But there may need to be some harder conversations that need to be had that help us just redefine the friendship in a way which honors God. So Father, I pray that your spirit would drive these truths deep within our hearts. And that God, we would respond to whatever you show us to do. God, I pray that the truth of this message would transform our hearts. That God, we would recognize that your Holy Spirit is ministering to us. That you want so much for us to be surrounded by the right people. And that our roots do indeed go deep into who you are. So that your love abounds within us and overflows. God, if we need to redefine a friendship, I pray that you would show us when to do it, how to do it. And that God, you'll empower us to do it by your spirit, with your grace and always showing love. God, we trust the results to you. And we will do, Father God, whatever it is that you lead us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.